Good morning. Welcome to Westside Foursquare Church. I am glad that you guys that are with me here this morning are here. I'm glad that those of you who are joining us online are here as well. Um, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 7. Um, today I want to talk about something that I think is really going to set a lot of people uh, free. Um, a lot of people who choose to follow Jesus fall into some misconceptions about what God expects of them because of different words that are used in the Bible and the way that we use those same words in society. Sometimes we can take what society's definition is of those words and we can draw it into the way we read the Bible. And so I want to deal with a couple of words today. Specifically, I want to deal with the words holy and the word good, and then a little bit with the word discipline, okay? Now, these are words that are in the Bible and English, and they have either Hebrew or Greek words that are translated into the words holy and good and discipline, but unfortunately, language is, well, I mean, not unfortunately, it's just a fact of life. Language is changing all the time. And as our culture and society changes, the way we use words changes as well. Unfortunately, this is what's unfortunate, is that sometimes when our society changes the meaning of a word, we take that new understanding of that word and we apply it to what scripture is saying. And what can happen, especially with words like good and holy, is we can end up with a real misconception about what God expects of us or what the Bible is telling us. And so I want to deal with some words today and hopefully set some people free um, from some heavy weights of misunderstanding. But let's start with prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you have given us uh, a supernatural glimpse into your heart, into your character. God, that you had, have given us your word as a measuring stick so that we can know uh, how we can live our lives in a way that will please you, that will be like you. But God, we can also know that you are meeting us every step of the way and providing the power for us to become like you. So we ask, God, that you would open our hearts and open our minds. Let us hear what you have to say to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to remember to smile a lot today because I have good news for you, okay? I have good news for you about what God expects for us. If we don't know what God expects for us, if we don't know how we fit into God's plan and into God's kingdom and reality, then we're not going to be able to pursue that as well. So I have good news for you today. And so I want to try and remember to smile a lot. If I don't remember to smile, Sophia, smile at me to remind me to smile, okay? So um, flip or click over to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 7. As always, I would like you to open your Bible with me, whether it's digital or paper, so that you can make sure that I'm not making stuff up, that I'm not saying things that aren't there. It is a huge privilege that we have access to the Scriptures, and so we need to take advantage of that privilege that we have. So Hebrews 12, starting in verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So again, two of the main words, we're going to get back to that word discipline in a little while, but the two main words I want to focus on today are words that you see in the Bible all the time, holy or holiness and good. 
I believe that, that a misunderstanding of these words based on the way our society uses them causes great consternation and even great, a great sense of guilt and condemnation on believers because they misunderstand what these words mean. Rachel? You just used a big word. What is consternation? Consternation means concern or worry. Okay. okay? But also, it causes condemnation. And that is where I think I am bad, okay? The Bible talks about guilt, and it talks about condemnation. Guilt is good and healthy. Guilt is where we look at ourselves and we say, I did something that was bad, okay? Condemnation is where we look at ourselves and say, I am something that is bad, all right? The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. So we are set free from our old bad selves by Jesus, okay? And now we are walking into the light and learning how to be like Jesus. So now we don't want, we don't want to ignore guilt, okay? Because when we do something that's wrong, when we do something that's unloving, we want to feel a healthy guilt to, to give us the motivation to change, to allow the Holy Spirit to change our hearts and change the way we think so that we can behave differently. But condemnation, we don't want to live in because condemnation says you're a bad person, okay? And God says, because you're in Jesus, you're a loved person and a valued person, all right? But this whole idea, because we al we've allowed the... Uh, the definitions of holy and good in our culture to come into our understanding of what the Bible says, it causes a lot of people to feel guilt they shouldn't feel or to feel condemnation. Now, first of all, the word good in our society has practically lost all meaning. One of the problems in our culture is that we redefine words to fit what we want things to be like, okay? And so the word good in, in especially Western culture has almost lost all meaning because you know what? It's not good. If something is good anymore, it's not good enough. In our culture, it has to be amazing, it has to be spectacular. It has to be awesome. Or it's not good enough. And a lot of this goes back to the fact that we live in a marketed culture where we are being advertised to all the time. And something being good isn't good enough anymore. Yeah, it's good. You know, it was good. But it wasn't amazing. Okay? And so what happens is... We start to think that good is only so-so, and then when we read in the Bible the word good, we think, oh, that's only so-so. Yeah. Or the other problem with good is that we think in our culture that good means comfortable. If it, if, if it makes me comfortable, if it makes me feel happy, it's good. If it makes me uncomfortable or it makes me feel sad, then it's bad. And so we allow that definition to come into the way that we read the scriptures, okay? And then there's the word holy. And in our culture, in our world, about the only place we ever use the term holy is when we talk about someone who is holier than thou. In other words, they're, they think they're so perfect that they look down on everybody else, okay? And so we come, we get this idea that holy means perfect. It means you never sin. You never make mistakes. You never do anything that's wrong. And that, has come, that comes into our reading of the Bible. So when we read things like where the Bible, God says, uh, you be holy because I am holy, we think, well, that means I'm never going to make mistakes because God never makes mistakes. And so we end up with all this guilt and pressure and stress on us and consternation because if I make a mistake, well, then I'm not holy like God is, and so I failed God, okay? 
And so what happens is we've allowed these cultural definitions of good and holy to come into the way we read the Bible. Rachel? I just wanted to add to what you were saying about holy. Holy nowadays almost has a bad connotation of like being snotty and being better than everyone else. That's like, right. Look at me. That's right. Being cocky. Being cocky, yeah. Somebody, well, you're so holy. Okay? But that's not what the Bible means when it says holy. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit so that when we read the Bible, we understand what the Bible is saying to us when it says holy. And we understand what the Bible is saying to us when it says good. Okay? So one of the best places to learn what the Bible means by a word or an idea is to go to some of the earliest uses of those words and ideas, okay? So everybody flip or click over to Genesis 1, the first chapter in the whole Bible. And we are going to read the last verse of Genesis 1 and the first few verses of Genesis 2, okay? And we're going to look at a couple of the first places where the terms or the ideas of good and holy are in the Bible. And we're going to figure out, based on the way they're used, but also based on the definitions of the, of the original words that are used, we're going to figure out what God means when he says good and when he says holy. And then we're going to look at a few scriptures that use those terms And we're going to reread those scriptures with our new understanding of what God means when he says good and holy. So Genesis 1, starting in verse 31, this is right after God makes Adam and Eve and he puts them in the garden and he assigns them a job. Do you know that when God made Adam and Eve, he gave them a job? No, I didn't. He did. To watch over the whole earth. And all the animals and all the plants, he gave them a job. Do you know what? I believe that Christians should be the most respectful people in the world for the environment. You know why? Not because we worship the earth, but because that's our original job was to take care of the earth. So Christians should be the best at not littering. We should never litter. We should never misuse animals. We should should be the most respectful caretakers of the environment that exists on the planet. We should be the guys who act like it's Earth Day every week. Right. Without losing sight of also loving people. Because God, that was God's original job description for humanity. So God creates people. We'll leave that rabbit trail alone. God creates human beings. He gives them control over the earth and authority over the earth. And then it says in verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Then chapter two, thus the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it what? What does it say? And made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So here we see one of the first places where God in the Bible gives us the terms good and holy. Okay? When God says that everything that he made was very good, the Hebrew word is tob. Okay? And that word means it's pleasant. It's well made. It's good. It carries with it the idea that everything functions well. Do you know when God made the heavens and the earth? Do you know that he made... It's, it's not like, um, like if I go and I make a sculpture, okay? And I set the sculpture here, all right? That's, that would be amazing, first of all, for me to make a sculpture, all right? <laughs> And that sculpture could be beautiful. It could be really, really nice. 
But it, it's just a sculpture. It doesn't really do anything. Yeah. Now, if I were to go and build a clock with all the gears and all the, and I went and I actually from, like, took just the metal and actually cut out the gears and figured the mathematics out of how to build this clock and put it next to the sculpture, which would you be the most impressed by? The clock. You know why? Because the clock functions, especially if the clock actually kept time. You would be more impressed by the clock. You know why? Because that clock would have a whole lot more work and effort and thought behind it than the sculpture would. The sculpture is nice. The sculpture is, is good. But the clock is very good. Do you realize when God stood back and looked at the universe he had created, God created all the pieces of the universe to function together. So when God looks at something and says it's good, he doesn't just mean it's beautiful or attractive. He means it functions well. It's in balance. Things work together. Okay? And then God says that he blessed the Sabbath day. He blessed the seventh day. And he called it holy. The Hebrew word there is kadesh. And it doesn't mean perfect. How many of you guys have ever had a perfect Saturday? <laughs> Where everything in the universe around you was absolutely right. And you didn't make any mistakes. Maybe one Saturday when I slept all day was about as close to perfect as I ever got because I didn't wake up to make any mistakes, okay? So when God uses the term holy, he doesn't mean that it's perfect. He doesn't mean that it's without mistakes. God called the Sabbath day holy. That word kadesh means sanctified, which is a fancy word for set apart or set aside for a special purpose. When God calls something holy, he means it's set aside for a special purpose. He doesn't mean that it's perfect. Sabbath is set aside for a special purpose. We are supposed to take Sabbath to remember that God rested, but also Sabbath is a step of faith where we stop one day out of the week and we say, you know what? It's not all up to me. I will trust God to take care of the universe while I rest. So the Sabbath is called holy because it's set apart for a special purpose. Now, when you have something set aside for a special purpose and something happens to that to cause that thing to stop fulfilling its purpose... The Bible calls that defiled. Adam and Eve were set aside for a purpose. They were set aside to know God, to be in relationship with God, and to take care of the earth. And when they chose to disobey God, they were defiled by sin because of two things. Number one, they, were, they no longer fit into God's universe well. Sin caused God's universe to cease functioning properly. That's why disease entered in to the universe. That's why poisonous animals entered into the universe. That's why the universe is slowly falling apart because God created the universe and set it apart for a specific purpose and Adam and Eve's sin defiled that purpose in themselves and in their universe. And so things ceased to be very good. And now we make things unholy. In other words, we use things for other than their set-aside purpose. Now, what about in the New Testament? 
Because in the New Testament, the New Testament is written in, in the language of Greek, Koine Greek. Well, the, the New Testament has a number of words for good. The first is agathos, which describes something that is beneficial in its effect. Okay? So something is described as good with this word agathos when that thing is beneficial to things around it, it's good. All right? Another word that is used in Greek is kalos, which describes something that is suited to its environment. It fits in the system that's a part of. Are you seeing kind of the same thing that we saw in Hebrew in the Hebrew? That good, when God talks about good and the Bible talks about good, it's talking about something that functions well, that works in its environment, that is beneficial to the other parts of what's around it. That is what good is. Okay? Now, the Greek word for holy is hagios, which means separated or set aside for a specific purpose. Does that sound familiar? So the Bible in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the words good, the word good means it fits, it functions well in its environment. And the word holy means set apart, sanctified. It's, it's specifically set aside for a purpose, okay? Now in our text in Hebrews 12 that we went to, the word that's translated as good is a word sumphero, which means to bear, literally, it means bearing together for good or to be profitable, something that's good for you, something that's, again, beneficial, all right? So let's look at some famous passages of Scripture in light of these new definitions. So good <coughs> means it's beneficial, it means it fits in and it works well, okay? And holy means set aside for a specific purpose, okay? So let's look at uh, Leviticus 11. This is a very famous verse that uses the term holy. And because of a misunderstanding of what holy means, because Christians have, been, have taken on this idea of holy means I'm better than everybody else, or I'm somehow perfect, we read this verse and we feel really guilty because we're like, well, I'm not like that. So Leviticus 11 Starting in verse 44, it says, For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Now this passage is right after a whole section where God tells the Hebrews what to eat and what not to eat. And he has just finished telling them, don't eat snakes and lizards. Okay? Okay. The other peoples in the promised land used to eat anything they could find. But God had special rules and regulations for his people. And he says, You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So he tells his people, you will be holy because I am holy. He is not saying you will be perfect because I am perfect. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you will be set aside because I am set aside. God is holy. You know what that means? It means he is other than everything else. It means that God is above everything else. There are some people that believe that the universe is God. There are some people who claim to be Jesus followers. They believe that the universe is God, that all of the laws of the universe and all of the electromagnetism and all that is actually, uh, it's actually part of what God is. But, it, but God says, I am separate. I'm set aside from everything else. And so you will be set aside from, for everything, from everything else. We're set aside for a purpose. What is our purpose? To know God and to follow God and be in relationship with God and to obey Him. So what he's saying to the Israelites here is not, 
I am perfect and never make mistakes, so you have to be perfect and never make mistakes. Aren't you glad, Peter? Aren't you glad God doesn't expect you to be perfect and never make mistakes? No. God says, you're going to be like me in that you are set apart. You're different. You're not like everybody else. Rachel? Being set apart like that also reminds me of being set apart from the world and walking in a heavenly mindset, not a worldly mindset. And that's exactly what he's talking about. He told the children of Israel, you will be holy as I am holy. You will be set apart. You will not behave like everyone else in the world. Just like God says, just like I'm set apart and I'm different than everybody else. So you will be set apart for a specific purpose and that is to follow me. And we who decide to follow Christ are also called to be holy. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. We're in the New Testament now. And this is where we talk about mindset, Rachel, what you just said, that we're supposed to change our mindset. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So again, in the New Testament, Jesus' followers are encouraged, don't behave like those who are in the world who are ignorant about God, but behave differently. Be set apart like God is set apart. Rachel? I'm sorry, what was that verse? That is 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 13. Thank you. He says, Be holy as God is holy. In other words, we are urged to be set apart. Not that we're perfect and never make mistakes, but that we're set apart. Okay? When I got married and I made a promise to Joy, I was set apart to become her husband. Does that make sense, Rachel? I was set apart to become Joy's husband. So in some ways, I became holy unto Joy. Does that make sense? If we use the biblical meaning of the word holy, I became holy unto Joy. I became set apart for the purpose of being Joy's husband. In the same way, when we decide to follow Jesus... We become holy unto God. We're set apart for the purposes of following God. Well, now, wait a minute. I've said a number of times here that when the Bible says we're supposed to be holy, it's not saying we're supposed to be perfect. But you know what? There's a verse where Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So let's look at that. Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. Flip or click over there with me. Matthew 5, starting in verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So what Jesus is saying is God treats everybody the same. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. He says, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, be like God who sends rain to both the just and the unjust, who, who lets his son rise on the evil and the good. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
The context of this verse and the meaning of the Greek word work together. The Greek word here is teleios, which literally means complete, whole. It means having integrity. It means being the same completely. Okay? So perfectly complete. So God is complete. He's whole. He doesn't behave one day, one way on one day and behave a different way on another day. God doesn't wake up grumpy. God doesn't have bad days. God is whole. He is complete. He allows the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He allows his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And we are supposed to be like our Father in heaven and treat everyone the same way. That's what Jesus is saying here. It doesn't mean God is perfect and never makes mistakes. That's not even in the context of the verse. And it's certainly not in the definition of the Greek word. What, it, what Jesus is saying here is, be like your heavenly Father, who is always the same. And, right. Now, that's part of who God is, is that He's perfect and doesn't make mistakes. But He's perfectly like that. And Jesus is saying, be like your heavenly Father, that you don't treat some people one way and some people another. You don't treat your enemies bad and your friends good. He says you treat everyone good the same way your father does. Okay? So, then when we behave like that, we will be learning how to be whole and complete like our father in heaven. So holiness is being set aside for a purpose, and we know that that main purpose that God has for us is that we be conformed into Christ's image. So tell me, can you be completely perfect all the time and never make mistakes? No. That's impossible. No. You're not going to be able to accomplish that. But let me ask you this. Can you have a mindset that you're set aside for a special purpose? Can you wake up every day and think, today I exist to know God and to bring Him glory? And then when you have the opportunity to make a decision, can you look at that decision and say, okay, which one of these choices is going to go along with my purpose of knowing God and bringing Him glory. Can you do that? If you can do that, then you can be holy. You can be holy, set apart for God. And what happens is as you change the way you think about yourself, that I don't exist to, to fulfill my own desires... I don't exist to be comfortable. I exist to know God and to make Him holy. What happens is you begin to make decisions that go along with the reason why you exist. And then you begin to live a holy life. Not that you're perfect and never make mistakes, but that more and more you're making life decisions and life choices that line up with the fact that you are set apart for a special purpose. Just like I am made, quote unquote, uh, in a manner of speaking, I am holy unto joy as her husband, I make decisions that go along with being joy's husband, right? Right? So like if I'm out somewhere by myself and some other woman is trying to flirt with me, I'm going to choose not to flirt with her. You know why? Because I am holy unto joy as her husband. Now, can I do that? Am I capable of being a good husband to joy? Yeah, I have the capacity. I have the ability to choose to do that, right? Okay, in the same way... Here's the good news. We have the ability to see ourselves as holy unto the Lord, set apart for Christ. And then when temptation comes and tries to defile us, tries to make us not function well in that purpose, 
We can say no to that temptation and we can be holy. Does that make sense? Every time you make a decision that goes along with being set apart unto God, you are holy. You're choosing holiness. We can do that. And the power of the Holy Spirit lives inside us to help us do that. So when the Bible talks about being holy, that is something we can actually accomplish. We can be holy. We can be set apart for God's purpose. Now, what about His goodness? Turn with me. Here's one of the most famous verses that talks about goodness. Turn with me to Romans 8, starting in verse 28. Flip or click over there, Romans 8, 28. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for, for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. See, there it mentions the concept, even though it doesn't use the word holy, it uses the concept of holiness that we are called according to his purpose. We're set aside to a special purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, remember, we talked about how Good in our culture means comfortable, right? But then when we, when we looked at what the scripture means by good, we learned that when God talks about good, he means it's beneficial and he means it works together well. How many of you guys would like to have a life that works good, that works well? Okay, does that mean you're going to be comfortable all the time? No. I was teasing my wife and daughter last night. We watched a sketch on YouTube about a guy who does a bacon cleanse. Instead of doing a juice cleanse, he does a bacon cleanse. And he just eats bacon all the time, right? For like three months, he eats bacon. And they put the actor in in like a fat suit and stuff. And he kept falling on things because he was so unhealthy, right? Now, I'll tell you something, eating bacon is good. If we use the world's definition of good, eating bacon is good because it's comfortable. It tastes good. It makes me happy. Eating bacon makes me happy. So then I should look at the Bible and say, well, God wants to do good for me, so I should eat bacon all the time. Does that make sense? No, No, because the Bible's definition of good means that it's, it functions well. Yeah. It's beneficial. Now, once in a while, having some bacon can be a good thing. Okay. But it has to be part, if I want something to be good, it has to be part of the entire system. It has to be like that clock, that imaginary clock that I built in my imagination that functions well. And sometimes that's not comfortable. Sometimes I need to eat vegetables. I don't. Right. I don't, vegetables are not my favorite thing. I would rather feed the vegetables to the cow and then eat the cow. (laughs) But you know what? If I'm going to do what's good, that means I choose to do what's healthy. So when the Bible says, when it says that God works all things together for good, That doesn't mean that God works all things together to make you comfortable, does it? No. It means he works all things together so that you function well within his universe. So that your life begins to function well. Katie? The ESV says, 
Uh huh. Right. When God works all things for good, what it's saying there in that verse is that he works all things for the benefit of, for the growth and progress of, for the health of, for the fulfillment of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? Verse 29, to be conformed to the image of his son. So in conclusion... And you guys know what it means when a pastor says in conclusion? Absolutely Absolutely nothing. Let's go back to our text in Hebrews chapter 12 where we started. Hebrews 12 starting in verse 7. And now I'm going to talk about the word discipline. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. How many of you guys have hard things in your life? Everybody right now, I'm so sick and tired of COVID. I'm so tired of hearing about it. I'm so tired of being stuck in my house. I'm so tired of worrying about everybody being scared all the time. I'm sick and tired of it. But the Bible says God works in all things for my good because I am called according to his purpose. I'm made holy. I'm separated to be holy to God, right? Does that include COVID? If I allow it, yes. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure, endure hardship. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. Now here I want to I address that word discipline. The Greek word that is translated here as discipline doesn't mean you're being punished for something. This is an older meaning of the English word discipline, which means training education. That Greek word, you could literally, without misusing the scripture, you could change wherever it says discipline there, you could change it to the word English word training, and it would still be true to what the original Greek says. Right. The word discipline, the older meaning in English of the word discipline means training. That's like the same root as the word disciple. We are disciples of Jesus. You know what that means? It means that we are to be Jesus' apprentices. Jesus is training us to be like him. So let's look at this verse again. It is for training that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not train? If you are left without training, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who trained us and we respected them. Should we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they trained us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he trains us for our good that we may share his holiness. Now the the Greek word here for good is actually a different Greek word which literally means beneficial. He trains us for what's good for us, for what will be beneficial and healthy for us, so that we may share in His holiness, that we may share in being separate for Him, in being different from those in the world who are ignorant. We can do that. What if we change the way we think about hardship? What if something uncomfortable happened to us and instead of our first response getting angry or blaming God, God, why did you let this happen? What if we changed our first response? What if we actually believed Romans 8.28 that says God works in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? You know what? If we actually believe that, then when something uncomfortable happens to us, you know what our spirit is going to do? I believe our spirit already does this. 
I can't wait to see what good God is going to do in me through this. Years ago, we were going through some difficult times financially, and I was, if I remember correctly, I was actually filling my car with gas, and I was thinking, God, please don't let our cars break. Please, please, please protect our cars. Don't let our cars break. We don't have money for that. Please don't let our cars break. You know what the Holy Spirit said to me? He said, do you realize that when you ask me to not let your cars break, that you're asking me to let your mechanic go hungry? You're asking me to let your mechanic's children go hungry. When something, when my cars break, that's a blessing to someone. Did you ever think about that? When, my, when, I get a, when I'm driving down the road and I get a flat tire, that's going to be a blessing to somebody. But if I'm selfish and all I think about is how uncomfortable and unhappy it makes me, I miss out on God's purpose for me. So now I've begun retraining myself that when my car breaks, I think, God, you're going to provide the money for this to get fixed, and it's going to be a blessing to my mechanic. And my mechanic will be able to feed their children. So we can actually change the way we think about things happening in our lives. I can be holy. All that means is that when I get up in the morning, I say, you know what? Today my life is about bringing glory to Jesus. Today my life is about letting God work good in my life so I can be more like Christ. And then when you do that, you're holy. You've set yourself apart for God's purpose. And you're holy as God is holy. You can do that. So as we read the scriptures, and you know that I'm always going to encourage you to be in the word. Read the word. Read the word. Read the word. As you read the word, keep in mind what God is saying to us here that we are set apart for His purposes, we're holy, and that He's working good in our lives. doesn't mean that we're comfortable. It means that He's working good. He's helping our lives work well in His universe. That's good news, isn't it? And that takes some of the weight off of us. I don't have to be perfect to be holy. I just have to walk in a way that's set apart for his purposes. And then when temptation comes, what I do is I think, oh, I'm not going to do that because that would not be good for me. I'm not going to do that thing because it would be unhealthy, because it would break what God is building in me. And you're holy. And God is working good in you. So God, I thank you that you don't load us with burdens we can't carry. Jesus, you said anyone who was tired, anyone who was weighed down should come to you and you would give them your yoke that is easy and light. That's not because... The yoke is light, it's because you're carrying it with us. And you're doing the heavy lifting. And all we have to do is get into the yoke with you and pay attention to your voice and to your footsteps and then walk in harmony with you. And then the weight is very light because you're carrying the weight. God, you have called us to be holy 
You have called us to be set apart for you and for your purposes. You've called us to be set apart, as Romans 8.29 says, that we would be conformed into the image of your Son. We can do that. We can learn to walk in a holy way, a way that is set apart for Jesus. And God, when things happen in our life, even the most uncomfortable, painful things, we can know that you are working all those things to our benefit because you love us, because we love you, because we are called apart to your purpose. God, I thank you that following you makes our lives function well. Following you puts us in balance with your kingdom and with your universe. And God, we thank you that you sent your son to take us out of darkness and bring us into a place where we can walk in holiness, where we can be set apart for you, where our lives can be very good because we're functioning well in your universe. God, we don't deserve that. Our rebellion and our sin, we deserve punishment. We deserve to be abandoned to suffer our own poor choices. But God, in your love, you sent Jesus to set us free from that old life and to bring us back into a place where we can be in relationship with you. We can be holy, set apart for you, and our lives can be good. Thank you, Jesus, for making that possible when we don't deserve it. Help us, Holy Spirit, to remember that we are set apart and that you work all things for our benefit, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good. Those of you joining us online, I'm glad that you joined us today. Um, we love you. I hope you found this encouraging. You can obviously like or subscribe to whatever format you're listening to. Um, if you'd like more information about us, you can send us a private message on Facebook at Westside Foursquare Church, um, and we would be happy to communicate with you. Uh, I hope you found this encouraging, maybe a little challenging. Uh, keep in mind that we love you and we believe in you and we believe in Jesus in you, and we will see you next week.